Good morning. God speaks to us in his word in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And Jesus said, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing his five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine with my own interest. So take, so we take, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Just a little light, little light reading for us this morning. A light, light passage. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, hey, my name is Ben. If I haven't met you yet, I'm the lead pastor here at Frontline Shawnee and get to serve uh, with lots of great people as one of the elders here and on a team of a lot of great staff and, and leaders. If you're new to our church, man, really glad that you're here with us. Okay, let me uh, catch us up to where we're at and why we're talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth today. Um, look, the first thing I wanna mention to you is, um, first off, these are the words of Jesus. He used these words, he said these things, and so it doesn't do any good for us to act like Jesus is passive. He's not. He's cutting straight to the heart. So just want to get us right there to start. These are his words. And if we say we follow Jesus, we cannot divorce him from his words. These are things that he believes. But before we jump into this text fully, I want to catch us up on why we're talking about this today. We have been preaching through a series over the summer on um, rhythms of grace, or, or sort of formerly known as spiritual disciplines. Rhythms in our life that really keep us anchored and centered on Jesus. Uh, we are people of habit, and we need good habits to deform our bad habits, because Lord knows the whole world is pushing bad habits, bad ideas, bad heart postures at us at all times. Today we're gonna talk about one of those, which is predominant, which is consumerism. We ended Rhythms of Grace, and then next week, we're gonna start 1 Corinthians. 
And we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians for over a year. Um, this book is, whew, is wild. 1 Corinthians is like, it's like, um, a mem- it's not even a memo. It's, it's, it's like a, a textbook on ecclesiology. How should the church act? And it covers every type of scenario. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians starting next week. But one of the things this week, one of the things that we do uh, in our community groups is as a group of elders, man, we constantly are asking uh, maybe the most important question we can ask, how do we disciple the church? How do we do it? How do we follow Jesus in discipling the church? When especially given that the whole world outside of here is discipling you as well. But they're not discipling you towards Jesus, they're discipling you towards yourself and towards the whole world. And culture keeps feeding us all of these crazy lies that are so easy to buy into. How do we disciple the church when culture moves at the speed of uh, TikTok (laughs) and it's constantly chasing its tail and shaping our views? We're a disjointed people to say the least in the world. I don't have to convince you of that. How do you keep up with everything that's being coming at you? How do you do that? How do you keep up with sort of keeping up with it all? This idea that's placed in front of you that you can have it all, live the perfect, great life, and the best way for you to do that is have no accountability. The best way for you to do that is be isolated and only have friends if they're really fun. The minute they don't get fun, get rid of them. Because friends are for fun. Community is for fun. Yes, we should have friends, but man, as soon as they tell you something you don't like or, hey, you're getting close to the cliff, (laughs) you probably shouldn't step further. As soon as they tell you that, it's like, no, 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 no. You don't love me. I can go where I want. I can be who I want. I don't need you telling me how to live or what to do. How do we keep up with that? How do you keep just stacking things like living your best life now and then presenting that through social media to the world? And, and it's cliche at this point to talk about social media in 2022, but it's real. This is a real thing. And it's not just social media. It's every single thing. Everyone's claiming to have cornered the market to live a stress-free life, a great life, but no one seems to be happy at the same time. Let's look at the facts. All-time depression and anxiety highs, suicide rates, confusion, to the core confusion, like biology confusion. Safe to say that the gospel of culture doesn't work at all to give us our best life. It doesn't work. And I'm just trying to reason with you. I'm not like, I know that some of you in the room probably look at me and you go, well, you're a preacher. This is like your job. I'm telling you, I would not, there's no way I could do this if it didn't make sense to my brain. There's no way. I don't, I'm not the smartest dude, but I try to be fairly reasonable in my life. And reason would have it, man. It's just the proof is there. What we say the world gives us, life Happiness, stress-free, be you, don't let anybody tell you different, and that's going to work out. That does not work. It doesn't work. We don't get what's promised. 
we're particularly a nation, but a world of self-absorbed people. We think about what's best for me. We measure everything by the what have you done for me lately self-creed. We do this in the church. What have you done for me lately? And as soon as you haven't done for me lately what I think you should do, which is read my mind, read my heart. (laughs) Don't wait for me to communicate. Don't wait for me to live my life. You should know exactly what I feel, think, want all the time and then be prophetic enough by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, to give me what I need before I even ask for it. That's the what have you done for me lately. It's a drug and we're chasing our tail with it and it's a drug that is permeated through society called consumerism. Consumerism is not just a drug, it's also a disease. It eats away at all the virtues of life and godliness and it makes its way into the church. Read one of the letters of Paul. Paul says in every letter, He talks about there are those of you who are always learning but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. Always absorbing things except true things. He talks about um, people being self-absorbed and fighting for disunity as opposed to unity, just only thinking about ourselves. This is all throughout the New Testament. Consumerism eats away at all the virtues of life. It eats away at all the virtues of godliness. It eats away things like patience and peace Gentleness, here's two, self-control, and then especially commitment. The only cure for the disease of consumerism, which is so American, is this word called stewardship. Stewardship and faithfulness. Stewardship means this. If I, I know it's a weird word, it's a very church word. If I were to ask you, hey, be a steward of something, immediately what you might think, or be faithful with this one thing, immediately what you might think, and it would be a right way to think, is that, well, he's given me something that's his, and he wants me to just take care of it. The equivalent of what's happening in a consumeristic culture today is like asking someone to house it for you and them acting like they own the house now. (laughs) So what is stewardship? It's not owning and it's not renting. You do not own, ownership says that it's mine, I made it, I created it, I am the creator. I have to control it and I have to produce out of it. That's ownership, that's control. And then there's renting, which is the other extreme. Renting is, I don't really care. I don't, (laughs) we can let mice eat away at the house. It don't, it's the landlords, I ain't really worried about it. I'm just gonna maybe pay rent. Owning versus renting and stewardship is in the middle of that. It's not yours, but you are not a renter. You are a caretaker, a cultivator of the gifts of God. Today's passage is really hard to swallow, but it's really straightforward. And per usual with Jesus, he doesn't really mince any words. He tells it straight because he wants us to see it straight. What you just read is called a parable. A parable. Parables are stories that Jesus used, that a lot of people used back in his day, 
but especially in the Bible, Jesus used their stories to prove a very straightforward point. And this parable is in the middle of two other parables and primarily has to do with Jesus' second coming. So here's what's happened. Let me give you some context. Uh, We, a little while back in Mark, we studied what was called the Olivet Discourse. And what's happened is Jesus has left the temple. He's on the Mount of Olives. He's teaching the disciples about what it means for him to bring his kingdom on earth. Uh, having a lot to do with the fall of temple, having, having a lot to do with what they're going to experience in their lifetime, but also having to do with Jesus returning one day. So Jesus now still in Matthew is on the Mount of Olives. He's just told them about that. He's given them a parable about 10,000 virgins. He's given them a parable about multiple other things. And now it's in the middle of this time where Jesus is talking to them about him coming back. And we get this story. There are three men. There's one master. The master gives them money, and he gives them a lot of it. He gives them talents. Let me tell you what a talent is. A talent is about 10,000 denarii. One denarius, remember, one talent, 10,000 denarii. One denarius is a full day's wage. One talent is 10,000 full day's wages. So each talent was literally about a whole lifetime's worth of work. That's 38 years and a half if you're counting it as a five-day work week. One talent. He gives one five. He gives one two. He gives another. He basically covers their whole lifetime's worth of work and then some. The master himself is giving them an inheritance that he earned. They didn't earn it, it's his. He earned it and is giving it to them. How about this, just for more perspective? One talent in modern day equivalent would be around $1.4 million. Here's five times that. Here's two times that. Here's one times that. I'd be like, Jesus, I could take like just 0.10% of that. I'd be fine for the rest of my life. The first thing we need to see this is so true. The master is generous with his gifts to his servants. And he obviously owns a lot. But he is the master. And they are his servants. There's absolutely no doubt about it. This is a story about Jesus and us. Jesus is the master. We are his servants. And boy, we hate that terminology in 2022, but it's true. It's all throughout the New Testament. Paul says it in Romans 1. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Then Peter later, multiple times throughout, but in 2 Peter 1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. A servant. He is our master. That's our identity first and foremost, is that there is a master and we ain't it. We're not it. This story is very important and we need to pay attention to it. Jesus, once again, is showing us how to live with the things that he has given us. And the hard thing for us to see first and foremost is, listen to me, what you have is not yours. It's not. Now, in American Bible Belt culture, it is really hard for us to wrap our head around it. And there's there's just... There's always opportunity for it to be so offensive, but I'm talking about everything that's been given to you. That means parents, listen to me, your children, husbands, your wives, wives, your husbands, um, 
singles, your single life. Everybody's life, your job, your everything. We're going to talk about it more, but it's not yours. So, hey, listen, why do we stand up here all the time and talk about money? Why? I mean, look around. We're not, we're doing the best, we really are. We're grateful for this building. We're doing the best with what we've been given, but it doesn't take long to figure out, man. We're not trying to, like, run gold quarter around around the edges. Why do we talk about it so much? It's because of the responsibility that I have as a steward to say one of the most important things that we could talk about. And we're not, this is not, a, this is not going to be a sermon on money. It's not, which you'd be relieved to hear. But it is a sermon on stewardship and realizing that what you have is not yours. That's why we talk about it all the time because there's one thing, there's a lot of things, but one of the primary things that can keep us from being stewards of our life is to act like you earn the money that you have. Work hard as unto the Lord. In this story, the master gives them his inheritance. They didn't earn it. This is a story about you and Jesus and me and Jesus. What are we going to do with what we have been given on earth? And the first thing we have to realize is it is not from us. So point number one is this. Stewardship is faithfulness. It's faithfulness. It's being faithful with what you have been given. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted them and entrusted to them his property. Talents. The original language was a term describing money only. But over time, and because of this specific parable, talents changed its definition. It became more than just money, although it is definitely money. It became things like what your gifts are. That's what we'd call it today. What you are naturally gifted at and then the things that God has put in your life for you to be gifted at. Your money, of course, but your job, your kids, your career, your personality, even your sexuality. Things that God has gifted to us to steward. You are not your own. Faithfulness over the things that he's given means first and foremost, knowing where they come from. There's two things we gotta see here. First, Jesus is our master. He is our master. He gives us his work he gives us his inheritance. This is the gospel. You could not save yourself. Jesus went and did it for you. He hands us an inheritance that he deserves alone. We're not our own. We're bought, in fact. We're purchased, the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Two things, Jesus is our master, and then also, here's the best news, and it, it isn't, didn't have to be this way. I mean, even if he wasn't, didn't have the character that he would, he would still be our master. Second thing is this, Jesus is actually a very good master. He's a good master. Bad masters are everywhere. They care about things like bottom lines only. They care about things like production only. They see people as a means to an end, and not the end of themselves. Pharaoh was a bad master. If you remember the story of Exodus, 
God's people were enslaved to Pharaoh. And here's how that came about. Pharaoh looks around out of fear and anxiety. He says, man, they, they might get to a number where they overrun us. And also, we've got a lot of things that we want to build to our gods. So here's what Pharaoh says in Exodus 1.10. Let us deal with them shrewdly. Let us deal with them harshly. Pharaoh says to the people of God. He enslaved God's people for the sole purpose of controlling them through fear and production. Jesus is not like that. He is a good master. Good masters reward their servants, and Jesus does. He rewards these servants in three ways. This is important. The first is this. He gives them his approval. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, to the first two. Well done. Um, there's a theme we talk about a lot throughout Scripture that is um, kind of a theme that we, don't, that we struggle with in America, we struggle with in society in general, and that's this theme. I mean, it literally tells us to do this to keep from the deceitfulness of sin, and that is this. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. The trouble with that is that no matter how much you encourage me, although that's, we should fight for that, you should say it even when you don't feel like it because that reflects the heart of God. The problem that I have is I turn into a black hole of encouragement. You ever do that? It's like no matter what you say or how many times you say it, I just, it doesn't just quite, I don't get it. We need more than man's approval. We need God's approval. And there's nothing like the thought and the reality, if you are in Christ, faithful with his inheritance, there is nothing like the thought of standing before God Almighty, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We need God's approval, and guess what? He gives it to us. Jesus gives it to us, his approval. Galatians 1, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is true for us. He gives us his approval. The second thing is he gives us his responsibility. It says that he entrusted to them his property, we get his approval and responsibility. There is no trust in the world. If you're a boss, you know it. If you work for a boss, which is most everybody here, there's nothing, there's no mark of approval more than your boss giving you responsibility of something that they really care for. I love this in Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, this is Jesus talking, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We have God's inheritance and responsibility to be the church that marches his kingdom forward in the world. What a high calling. There's only one God. There's only one church. There's no plan B. And guess what? This plan will work. The Bible says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. You are the church. Be faithful what he's given you. You know why? Because he's given, he's trusted us with his responsibility, and it won't fail. He rewards us with his approval. He rewards us with his responsibility. And the third thing, I love this, the reward from God is his joy. 
his joy. Enter into the joy of your master. I love this because there's a lie out there that we believe since the beginning of creation. We believed that we're better off trying to create joy and happiness on our own, away from obedience to God. But what Jesus tells them here, he says, he doesn't say just enter into joy. You decide. You decide what joy is and go enter into that. that, This is why I have a problem with the idea that I grew up with, which is that heaven is going to have mansions and streets of gold. What does that mean? That sounds like God all of a sudden like giving me the American dream. Is that what we're living for? Is that what we're laying down our life for, is for mansions and streets of gold? Enter into the joy of your master. There is a joy that is uncomprehensible. It is everlasting. It's eternal. It is found in and through Jesus alone. That's communion with God. The best thing about heaven, you know what the best thing about Eden, the Garden of Eden, we just imagine this garden where finally we get to just, you know, my thought is like, I don't need a mansion I, just, I would like just a really clear rock bottom lake with a tire swing and a, just a buffet full of you know, soul food every day. That sounds like heaven to me. I don't get fat. <laughs> uh, enter into the joy of your master. The best thing about Eden, the best thing about heaven is the presence of Jesus. That's the thing that matters. Eden was eaten because of Jesus' presence. Enter to the joy of of your master, he says. The reality is and will always be there is one giver of true joy and it can only be found in him. Stewardship is faithfulness and then also stewardship is freedom. Stewardship is freedom. I love Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm because of that. Believe that, stand firm, therefore, and then don't go back. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. In a world where you say, man, the way that you be free is to finally realize your true self. Watch all the Pixar movies. They're great, man, they're funny. I watch Wally. I think that's Pixar, I don't know. I cry every time. Go hug my dog. But this idea that the way to joy and happiness is just you discover who you are within yourself. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And then you go fight for that the rest of your life. Well, that changes about every five months. Self-autonomy has never produced any freedom. This is an illusion. Consumerism feeds a false narrative. It feeds a lie to us that if we can just have more, if we can just be more, if we can just live life with no restrictions... Then, and only then, will we finally experience freedom. The problem is there's never been a person in the history of humanity that's ever lived that life that felt free. Never. The greatest dupe of all time is that obedience is bondage. Actually, obedience is freedom. It's freedom. Notice the story of these three men. To one he gave five talents, to another two. 
to another one. Three men, five, two, and one. To each according to his ability. And then the master went away. He who had received the five talents went at once immediately and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. They went without haste, no waste. Let's go, man, we got work to do. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. I don't know how long it takes to dig a hole big enough to fit $1.4 million. But I know it probably took a while. Now just imagine that. You've got two men who are immediately working to double, and this guy's digging a hole. <laughs> three different men with three very different responses, but they each were trusted according to his ability. The sense is that the first two men were honored to be trusted. They couldn't believe it, I imagine, that the master who they love and who they appreciate and who they know is out for their best interest and who is so generous and rewarding and slow to anger and rich and abounding love would give them this inheritance and trust them. Let me go and reproduce it. Let me go and give it away and multiply the inheritance. They got to work. They were grateful. They were not afraid, but were joyful. And the other, who did his own thing, doesn't seem like freedom at all. No gratitude, no joy. I don't know how happy he was digging a hole. Only fear. Obedience equals freedom. The illusion that we are free when we're actually slaves to this autonomy ideal. The bottom line is this is a sermon about joy. <laughs> it's about joy in Jesus, freedom and obedience. The third thing is this, probably the most important today. Stewardship is literally knowing the master. I'm going to read the rest of this for us, starting at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. One thing, real quick, Jesus is talking about himself coming back. And he's saying, it's going to be a while. After a long time, he came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I love this because their reward was exactly the same, even though one produced more than the other. It wasn't based on what they produced. It was just based on simply if they produced. Stewardship of the things that God gives us is a marker of whether we know him or not. Enter into the joy of your master. It doesn't have to do with the quantity of your life, the quantity of your ministry, whatever. It has to do with the quality, and the quality alone can be found in knowing the master, seeing it all as God's gift to you and leaning on him at every turn. It's not up to us to produce the results. 
We just have to be faithful what he's entrusted to us within the abilities that he's given us. Some of you have the ability to do a lot. Some of you have very big plates. You're able to cover a lot, help a lot of people. Amen. Be faithful with it. Be faithful with it. Some of you have great leadership qualities. You're just kind of a natural leader. You know what? You need to be faithful with that. Some of you have callings on your life, callings to, I don't know, whatever. Whatever God has called you to, be faithful with it. Don't bury it. If you're married, guess what? You're called to steward your marriage. Be faithful with it. Work, work, put in the work. If you're single, guess what? 1 Corinthians 7, lead the life that God has assigned to you. Be faithful with your singleness. It's not up to us to produce results. We just have to be faithful what he's entrusted with us. I think it's a lot about pastors of small churches. There are, gosh, and as I think about this every time, I'm like, why do I, how, the audacity for me to ever complain. There are pastors in small towns that mowed the churchyard yesterday. And they fixed the plumbing. And they tried to fix the air conditioner because they couldn't afford it. And there's going to be 12 to 15 to maybe 20 or 30 people that show up if they're lucky on a Sunday. Average church attendance is not very high in America. And they have to put a sermon together. And they have to deal with every single care issue in the church. And they have to be a Christian themselves. And they probably have wife and kids and going to a football game. And they're, you know, man, I don't even plan on talking about this, but that's why we will never be a church that thinks that we have figured out the secret sauce. We'll always be a church that blesses and prays for and does everything that we can to help pastors everywhere. It's hard work, man. Be faithful with what he's given you. Those are faithful men out there. Not all of them, of course, but a lot of them. Whew. College students, workers, be faithful what he's given you. These two men were Enter into the joy of your master, he says. Last worker. This is tough, but this is real. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed? That's the tone. There's a question mark at the end of this statement. You, that's what you thought of me? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For everyone who, is, who has will, be, will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This isn't about Jesus the banker. This is about Jesus the master. He is telling us the truth. It is not popular 
to talk about the reality of life and eternity without knowing Jesus, but there is a reality. That place, that eternity without knowing Jesus is called hell. It's out of his presence. It's the wrath of God without the mediating presence of Jesus. That's what it is. What a bad take on the master. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. This man didn't know Jesus, and he so disregarded his responsibility. The same is true for the history of man. Adam did the same thing. He disregarded his responsibility when he bought the lie from the snake. In Genesis 3, God comes to Adam. He says, what has happened here? And the man says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. It's her fault, not mine. The greatest and most important thing that we can steward is not our stuff, listen to me, it's not even your kids. The greatest thing that you can steward in your life is your soul. It's your soul. That's the point of this whole thing, man. What's happening with this man, his lack of understanding, his lack of knowing the master and not understanding him, this is truly known as bad theology. It's bad understanding. And I'm not just talking about theological things that we argue and fight over in church history or whatever. I'm talking about bad understanding of who the master is, who God is. I want to end with this story today. Story of a man named William Carey, who was a missionary to India in the 1700s. William Carey had to stand before his church, his church leaders, and he had to give a proposal for his plan for India, which is interesting in and of itself, that he had to have a board meeting to get approval for his mission plan. But one man, one church leader, stands up and says to William Carey, in that meeting, sit down, young man. When God chooses to save the heathen, he will do so without your help or ours. That's a bad understanding of God. What's interesting about that is there are bits and pieces, there are hints of good theology in that. Does God do the saving? Yes. Is it up to your cleverness or how you speak or how charismatic you are no God does the saving but you know what he uses us to bring salvation on earth that's what God does he's sovereign over it all but we are the means by which he brings his kingdom he's chosen to do that that's good theology this man had a bad understanding of God the great commission go therefore into all the world Carey's theology of God wasn't born out of a book. It wasn't born out of some staunch idea about God's character. It was born out of him knowing God. He went to India anyway. And his mission statement that drove a legacy, a legacy that included Adoniram Judson and J. Hudson Taylor, the China Inland Mission, was this. Expect great things and attempt great things. 
Do both. True stewardship of the whole human life is about knowing Jesus. It's about knowing the master, Jesus, who is not like Adam. He's actually better. He's the new Adam. He did not avoid responsibility. He took it on himself. Jesus didn't even take his own responsibility. He took your responsibility. He who knew no sin became sin. How could he who knew no sin become sin? You know how? Because he did that for you. You know sin. You knew it. Jesus didn't. He took your responsibility on himself. He who was perfectly obedient in every way, and he didn't waste a single minute of his life. Jesus, whose entire life was for one single purpose, to accomplish the will of God so that you and I could enter the joy of our master. That's the gospel. This is a story about knowing the master. The bottom line is this. You will give an account for your life. You will. Christian, are you stewarding your life well? Parents, do you see yourself as the creator of your children? You're not. God created your children. He's given them to you to steward. Are you stewarding your life in a way to worship Jesus? Are you controlling? Are you renting? Non-Christian in the room, the question is simple. Do you actually know the master? Do you know Jesus? Do you know his heart? The most important thing that you can steward in your life is your own soul. James 4.14 to close us says this. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So I'm going to invite all the mists in the room to stand up.